Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 7. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Look at verse 18. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? At that very hour, he cured many of infirmities and afflictions and evil spirits. To many blind people, he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell the John, go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And when in verse 24 are you looking at it? When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury are in the king's courts. But what did you go out and see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you in verse 28, I want you to underline verse 28. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is, what saints, least He is what? Least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And the Lord said, to what then shall I liken the men of this generation and What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance and we mourned to you and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking or eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
But in verse 35, wisdom is justified by all her children. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Long period of text. Now, if you were with me last week and you were here last week, just raise your hand if you would. Okay, well, that's a pretty good number of you. Okay, so last week, if you were with us, you know that these guys had come to John excited because they had just seen what Jesus had done. Jesus, if you were with me, you know this. Jesus stopped the funeral procession. He looks at a widow and he says, don't cry. And he raised her son from the dead just by shaking the head. Y'all remember that last week? Yeah. And then before that, he healed the centurion sick servant. And he did kind of a long distance healing, if you will, because he didn't even go to the man's house. And they and they said, John, as these disciples went to visit John in prison, They said, John, you should have been there. And the news was spreading and people were rejoicing and there was celebration. Brings us to verse 18. All of the excitement has worn off. And we turn our attention now to John the Baptist, who is sitting in prison. You might want to write this down. He is sitting in prison and he is doubting. Now, keep in mind, this is John the B who was the forerunner of the Messiah. This is John, the one who was, who was to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. John who said, I must decrease and he must increase. It was John who, when he saw Jesus, he pointed at Jesus and said, behold, what? The Lamb of God. John, the prophet, who was prophesied in Isaiah that when the Messiah would come, He would open the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf would be unstopped, and the dead would raise, the lame shall leap, and the tongue of the mute shall sing. This is the John that we are talking about. It's at this point, listen, that John is in prison, and the prison that he is in is called the Fortress of Machaerus. Machaerus. And it was built by Herod the Great, which is on the other side of the Dead Sea in the area of Jordan. At this point, John is in the basement prison. He's been there for about 10 months. John is in prison because Herod divorced his wife and Herod took his brother's wife and married her and John stood against that sin and he told Herod, Herod, you're an adulterer. Herod, that is sin. And so Herod put John in prison, but John probably wasn't worried. John's probably thinking the Messiah is on his way. He's going to spring me out of this joint. Remember, John knows the prophecy that when the Messiah comes, he's going to open the doors, the prison doors, and set the captives free. So John is thinking no problem. But days go by. Weeks go by, months went by, and John sat in this dingy, damp dungeon. And to add insult to injury, John hears that Jesus was in the area of this prison. And Jesus knows that John is in prison. But then Jesus left the area and left John sitting in a cell. And seeds of doubt 
and discouragement begin to set in. And John begins to wonder. And while his disciples were visiting John on a prison visit, John tells them to go ask Jesus, are you the coming one or should we look for a Messiah or look for another? We have all heard of doubting Thomas. Have we not? Have we heard of doubting John the Baptist? Because at this point, John the Baptist is doubting. Now, I suppose, listen, saints, give me your attention. I suppose if I divide this room into three groups, group number one will be those who have doubted. Group number two will be those who haven't doubted yet. Group number three will be those who don't care. But listen, the truth is every single person in this room will or has at times been in the place, if we are honest with one another, with ourselves, we have been in the place of doubt and confusion and uncertainty and questions and hesitation and reservation and vacillation and a lack of faith. Even me, even the pastor just a couple of weeks ago, I'm flying out of Philadelphia. Actually, I was coming from Bridgefest. I'm flying out of Philadelphia to Raleigh Dorm on a certain airline that I will not tell you which one. I will tell you it ends with West. So we're on this plane, this airplane, listen to me, this airplane is so crowded, it is ridiculous. I'm talking, this airplane is baby crying crowded. Anybody been on one of them flights? I'm talking, why is it that my seat is always around all the children? I I don't know how that happens. This flight is so crowded, it is hot. They get us on the plane on time because they, I I, I don't know. If you work for Southwest, listen, I love you. Do not take my following comments personal. But they want to leave on time. So they get everybody on the plane and they pull off on time. And they get us out on the tarmac and we sit out there for four hours. No, I didn't say four. I said four hours. That's a long time. And then uh, two hours later, now mind you, this flight is baby crying. And two hours later, they say, oh, well, they come. Well, we're going to come by with some refreshments, with some water and some peanuts. And I'm like, are these people out of their mind? Could you not have thought of that about an hour and a half ago? This flight is so crowded. And I'm and and honestly, guys, I got to be honest. I'm in the pulpit. I need to be truthful. I, I mean, I cannot believe this, and I'm getting upset. Elvira sitting next to me. I'm talking loud, y'all. I'm like, I cannot believe this. I'm ringing the bell for the lady to come. Elvira said, honey, 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 you got to watch your witness. Watch your witness. You're the pastor. I don't care about my witness right now. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all's in church lying. <laughs> Y'all know, I was like, I don't care about my witness right now. This place, I am in doubt. I am in complete and utter despair that I will ever get home. And everybody finds themselves in a place of doubt and in a place of despair. Why? Because watch this, saints. Doubt is a human emotion. 
It's a human emotion. And so John is in that place of doubt. And it's no new thing. Many people throughout the Bible have doubted. I mean, I think about Moses. If you're taking notes, Moses doubted. God said, Moses, I want you to lead my people. Moses said, who am I? And what will I say? And God said, it's not about who you are. It's about who I am. And I'm going to give you the words to say. And and Moses said, well, who am I going to say sent me? And God said, tell them, do anybody know the answer? Tell them, I am that I am. And Moses said, well, I'm not a great speaker like Pastor Rodney. And God said, don't worry about it. You'll be just as good. (laughs) You know, and, and good thing, you know, I'm not God because if I were God, I would have said, you know what, Moses, forget it. Never mind. You know what? I tell you what, I'll just use somebody else. People, we've all been in a place of doubt. I think of Elijah. Elijah got a great victory. You know the story. He got a great victory on Mount Carmel against the 450 prophets of Baal. He calls fire down from heaven. It's in the very, y'all know your Bible. It's in the very next chapter that he is running from a woman. Why? Because he is smart. (laughs) That's why. And he knows women are something else. And this woman, are you listening? Jezebel, she vowed to kill him. And he's hiding in a cave, you know that. And he's in a place of doubting and he is depressed. And he said, there is no one but me. I'm the only one that hasn't bowed my knee to Baal, talking to God. I think of the prophet Jeremiah. Pastor Johnny is teaching through the book of Jeremiah on Wednesday evening. Jeremiah was bold, very persecuted toward the end of his ministry. He says, God, I'm so depressed. I'm not even going to speak in your name anymore. And Jeremiah says, I don't want the job. I quit. And by the way, listen, this is the first mention of a nonprofit organization in the Bible. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. I, I, I won't do it again this service. I think of Job, if you're trekking with me, if that didn't throw you off. I think of Job chapter 7, verse 20. As Job said, Lord, why have you made my life so miserable? What have I done to deserve this? Have I been a burden to you? Listen, saints, many great men and women were shaken in their faith at one time or another where they doubt and they stumble. You know, there's a story, a true story of Martin Luther who had bouts with doubt and depression. One day, Martin Luther's wife found Martin moping around the house for days. And one day she went upstairs, true story, and she got dressed for the occasion. And she came down the stairs totally in black. And it was a little while and Luther looked at her and said, whose funeral are you going to? And she said, God's. God is dead. And Luther said, what do you mean God is dead? And she said, the way you've been acting, God must be dead. And at that time, Martin Luther took out a piece of paper and he wrote the song, He Lives, and he posted it on all the windows around his whole house. He was kind of OCD probably too. Not only, you know, because I I was reading, I'm like, you know, that's kind of OCD. And he's posting the, the words, He Lives, all around his house. And whenever he felt 
depressed, he would just read it. You know, somebody once wrote, if God is not larger than our doubts, he is not large enough to be our God. Did you hear me? If God is not larger than our doubts, he's not large enough to be our gods. Now, let's understand something here. John isn't struggling with the difficult circumstance. He is struggling with doubt. But he's not struggling with a difficult circumstance. See, you've got to understand something. John lived a difficult life. His daily life was eating grasshoppers. He's used to difficulty. His clothing was a camel hair suit. It was itchy. John isn't struggling with difficulty, but he's struggling with, saints, if you're taking notes, you write this down. He's struggling with the length of difficulty. It's not difficulty. It's the length of difficulty. You see, here's a definition for difficulty, if you're taking notes. Unfulfilled expectation. Unfulfilled expectation. John expected Jesus to be a certain way, and he expected Jesus to do a certain thing, and when it didn't happen, he finds himself doubting. Now, don't think you're better than John the Baptist, because, listen, the same thing happens to you and the same thing happens to me. When difficulty comes, someone you love is sick. Someone you love has just died. Finances have dried up. You find that Jesus isn't being the Jesus you expected in that circumstance. And then you start sending word. Jesus, are you the one I thought you were or should I be serving someone else? Or should I be serving something else? Listen, I see this every day of the week. When situations and circumstances happen in people's lives, I see it every day of the week, the first thing to go in their life is their spiritual life. They stop coming to church. It's true. Nobody here. But the first thing that goes is their spiritual life. First thing that goes is their prayer life. First thing that goes is their reading life. When things begin to happen, when in fact, when things begin to happen in your life, the first thing that you should do is cling to the things of the Lord. The first thing you should, I don't care what it is. Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't know. And I don't care. And it's not my business. But what you should do is cling to the things of God. Instead of pulling away from church, you should be coming to church more. You should be showing up at church when church is closed. Somebody say amen. That's the truth. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to draw closer to the things of the Lord. But what happens is when Jesus isn't being the Jesus to you in the circumstance that you're going through, you start to serve something else or go after something else. If you're with me, say amen, would you? And it's very, very true. And that's what's happening here with John. It's the length of the difficulty. It's not the difficulty. He's used to difficult circumstances, but it's a long time. Hey, look, are you the Messiah, the one I've been prophesying about, or should we be looking for another? Disciples, go back and ask him that. Notice in verses 21 through 22 in your Bible, notice Jesus says, go tell John, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the lepers are being cleansed, the dead are being raised, and the gospel is being preached to the poor. Man, this should ring a bell because Jesus, if you're taking notes, you can write it in, in your margin. He's quoting Isaiah 41, Jeremiah 29, Isaiah 35. Jesus is weaving scripture together. That's what I love about Jesus. I love that. Listen to me. Jesus uses scripture 
to support the things that he does. And that's what we should be doing. Why do you do this? Because the Bible says that. Why do you act this way? Because the Bible says that. Why do you love people that hate you? Because the Bible says that. I'm not going to tell you it's not hard, but I'm going to do what the word of God says. Now, Jesus uses scripture, and here he's using scripture, Isaiah 41, Jeremiah 29, Isaiah 35, all predicting the works that Jesus came to do. And Jesus is telling the disciples of John to go tell him the word of God, basically this, the word of God is being fulfilled. Go tell John the very thing that, that the prophecy said about the Messiah and what he would do is happening. And I believe that Jesus is making it clear. I've come to do the will of the one who sent me. I am not. Go tell John. Are you listening? Go tell John. I'm not here to do your will, John. I'm here to do the will of the one who sent me. Jesus is saying, I may not be the Messiah you think I should be, but I'm doing the will of the Father. You see, John has unfulfilled expectations that Christ has come to be his redeemer. But Jesus is also someone else's redeemer. Again, we do that as well. We want Jesus to be the Jesus we want him to be. We want Jesus to be the make us rich Messiah. Uh, say amen. We want Jesus to be the make us marry Messiah. Make us dating Messiah. So John has unfulfilled expectations and he starts to question, you know, too often we want to write. This is very true. This is very true. Too often we want to write the script and the part we want Jesus to play in our lives. When in fact, listen to me, if you hear nothing else I have to say, please wake up right here. When Jesus came to the earth, you must realize he came to the earth. Listen. And he had a script already. And it sounds something like this. Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sins and through his death and finished work on the cross, he conquered death and he defeated sin. And now he's declawed and defanged the devil through his sacrificial blood. And if you believe in Jesus, you can be saved from your sins and you can be forgiven. That is the script that Jesus came to the earth with. Can somebody clap your hands and say amen, would you? It's that simple. It's that simple. Jesus' script is to do the will of the Father. Jesus came to do the will of the one who sent him. He did not come to be your personal Messiah. He said, I've come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Jesus is saying to you, Jesus is saying to me, and Jesus is saying to John, I am already working from a script written by the Father. And you are blessed if you go along with the plan and the purpose of God, you find that in verse 23. Look at verse 24. When the guys that John sent to Jesus left, Jesus began to say, notice when John's disciples left, Jesus began to say to the multitudes, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? John wasn't blown by the political wind of the day. The religious Pharisees overlooked Herod's sin, but John stood against it. He wasn't shaken and blown by the moral wind of the day. He didn't compromise. Jesus is saying, listen, if there 
was some weakling down there, no one would have gone out to see him because you can see that anywhere. You went out to see someone with guts, someone who would boldly speak the word of God and put and allow God's word to come through his mouth. And the interesting thing is Jesus said this after John's disciples left. Jesus is telling them this is the greatest prophet that ever lived. And I'm sure that John is in prison and the virus of doubt is making its way through his system. And he's thinking, man, I messed up. And but Jesus says, no, you are blessed and you are the greatest. He's telling that. Are y'all getting that? He's telling this to John's disciples. John is not there. John is the best. John is the greatest. You know, I guess that begs the question, what does God think of you? If he were telling your friends about you, what would he say about you? Look at verse 25. Jesus said, you didn't go out to see someone putting on a fashion show. When people come out to see the man of God, the prophet of God, John was standing there in a camel hair sackcloth eating honey and locust legs are in his hanging out of his beard. That's what they saw. John was rough and rugged and he looked more like a biker preacher prophet. That's what he looked like. And Jesus said, you went out to see a prophet. I say more than a prophet. He was more than a prophet because he's the one that was sent with a message to prepare the way for the Messiah. Look at verse 28. I love verse 28. He was more than a prophet. John is the greatest prophet. If you're taking notes, you write this down. Luke 16, 16 tells us that John is the last of the Old Testament prophets You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.